Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Now on to today's episode where I will talk with Jamie Heidel as she joins us to discuss her blog, The Articulate Autistic, step-by-step instructions, and setting boundaries in her life. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Jamie, Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Doug. I appreciate it. Yeah. I wanted to kind of start out and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? Well, like a lot of late identified folks, it started in a kind of a roundabout, weird way. I knew that something was different my whole life, but I think unlike a lot of autistic people that I've spoken to, What I noticed was different was everybody else, not me. So I was that autistic person who was like, what is wrong with everyone? Why are people angry all of a sudden? Why do they fly into rages? Why is everything fine one minute and then not the next? Why are people telling me that I'm rude? And I I was never really making the connection between my behavior and their response. And so I thought everybody else was weird, not me. And it wasn't until I moved out on my own and I started getting into the workforce and working with other people and having everyday interactions that I noticed that people were having the same reaction to me and getting angry with me or yelling at me all of a sudden for what I thought was no reason or telling me I was rude or I would get fired from jobs. And I'm like, okay, so the common denominator here is me, but I don't see myself as doing anything wrong. And I certainly don't have any intention to do anything wrong. So what's going on? And it was, it was really disconcerting. I remember I was, I still didn't know I was autistic, but about at around 24 years old, I remember I started consciously copying other people around me and I didn't know that it was called masking. I just was like, okay, people don't like me the way I am. Something is wrong about me according to them. So what are they like? What are they talking about? What kind of facial expressions do they have? And I started, I remember having this really weird sort of surreal experience. I was working at an insurance company and people were talking, I guess, at the lunch table or something. And I I mentioned something and I said it and it was absolutely a scripted thing that I said. And I can't remember what it was. I don't know if I was quoting something or if I was talking about whatever topics were popular at the time. And I got this really like approval and nodding and people were smiling and I felt like inside it felt sick to my stomach because I remember having this feeling of just utter panic. And also, I guess it's really hard for me to even explain what I was feeling. It was so, so surreal to know that I had, I had done a neurotypical and that's what they wanted. And once I realized what they wanted, I realized that I was going to be stuck like that for the rest of my life. And it gave me a feeling that I can't put into words. I mean, I'm already Alex Lyman as it is, but I really can't put that into words, like feeling of fear and shock, I guess. Like, like this is what you wanted the whole time. 
So I knew something was different. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I had to change it or at least pretend to change it. And I want to say I was probably about 27, 28, and I was working at another place and someone told me a joke and I didn't know he was telling me a joke. So I just sort of looked at him and I was like, I was waiting for him to say something else. And he was sort of looking at me expectantly, like, you know, waiting for me to, to laugh. And I was like, huh? And it was very awkward. And I guess he had to explain to me what the joke meant. And I was like, this is so annoying. So I, out of frustration, I typed into Google. I said, why do I take everything so literally? And Asperger's syndrome popped up. And of course, this was a long time ago. This was in 2008. So that, you know, I know that Asperger's is a now defunct term and people don't use it. So, and I understand why. But I finally got some answers and I started doing some research and I did extensive research for months and months and months. And then I told my family and my friends and I said, well, you know, this is why I think I am the way I am. And instantly they're like, no, you're not. There wasn't, there was no wiggle room. There was just, no, you're not. You're not like those people. And I'm like, what do you mean those people? So I didn't understand the stigma or the stereotype. So I was just like, no, this really does describe me. And it took me till 2014. I had a complete mental health breakdown and I didn't realize I was in burnout. So I, I basically ended up in hospital for a long time because I also have OCD and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And it took me being in the hospital and then finally getting out and finding a therapist and she diagnosed me. So it was a long, arduous process getting a diagnosis. I really identify with, with, with some of those things you were saying, because, you know, maybe it just happens for me, like mostly during small talk where I'm asked questions that I don't feel they, that people even want to hear my answers. And so I just kind of give very minimal response because otherwise I just feel like I'm playing a part. I'm not being authentic. And, you know, I, I do not feel good about that whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I feel too. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with the idea of it because now I know it's masking. And if I have to, I can sort of get through it for, you know, a, a little bit during small conversations and it's okay because I compromise with myself and I know who I am now. But back then, it was it was the most disconcerting feeling. I'm like, wait, this is what you wanted? <laughs> this is all I had to do to stop you from bullying me? I, don't, I was very strange. Now, I learned about you because you write a wonderful blog, The Articulate Autistic, that I think, uh, you know, for anyone wanting to learn about the autistic experience, it's a fabulous resource. So I'm just wanting to know maybe why was it important for you to come up with The Articulate autistic as as the title for the blog oh that's a that's a great question it started out with I was having a conversation with someone several years ago on Instagram and I was just talking about how I realized I'm autistic and I also have ADHD I am like I said OCD CPTSD it's an alphabet soup in my brain and I've always under could not understand exactly like well I'm very clear about my needs. I'm very clear about my experiences and how I view the world and why can't people take me seriously? Why do I run up against so much pushback? And she said, well, that's easy. You're articulate. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you describe your experience of the world and your boundaries and your needs so well that people don't think you have them. I said, well, that's a kick in the gut. Thanks a lot. But it made perfect sense. I was like, oh, okay. Because the best way I can describe the way my brain works is that my output, like what I write, how I speak, that's at like an advanced college level. 
but my ability to take in information is probably at a grade school level. So I have a really hard time learning new information. I have a terrible working memory and a short-term memory. So my ability to actually take in information and onboard is really bad. And it takes a lot of energy for me and a lot of resources. So I think that people couldn't understand. I can't take it in, but I can. My output has always been so much better. And I never was able to even weirdly enough, articulate that because I didn't realize it. I didn't see it. I didn't understand like, okay, I don't understand when someone gives me something that's more than three steps, I can't do it. And I just panic, but I can write you a book in three days because that's just how my brain is. I mean, for example, it's one of the reasons that I have trouble with functioning labels and why the autistic community in general has trouble with functioning labels, because you can't call someone like me high functioning because that's not accurate. And you can't call someone like me low functioning because that's not accurate. They're both accurate depending on what's going on. So I have had, like I said, I express myself through writing very well, but I have had problems with, I mean, I have had complete and total meltdowns as an adult from trying to put up a set of blinds in my house from trying to, the first time I ever tried to open a wine bottle, I was in my late twenties, I think, and I couldn't figure out how to open the cork and I lost it, completely lost it, had a meltdown, again, didn't realize it was a meltdown. And there was another time I had bought something, I mean, there's just incidents that I can think of, but they've happened a lot. I bought like a sun shelter, one of those things that pops up and it pops up perfectly, but then you have to have some sort of like ability, you have to have some really good spatial relation ability to put it back down because you have to put it all in these steps. And I must've done it for an hour and I was, I was curled up in the ball on my kitchen floor sobbing. <laughs> so I certainly didn't look high functioning then. And uh, so I ended up, I spent a hundred dollars on the thing and I put it, I put it to the cart because I'm like, I'm not doing this to myself. So, and even, but that was confusing even for me because I got decent grades in school and other than math, I have dyscalculia as well. So I'm terrible, terrible, terrible at math. But I think it was just because I have a spiky profile, like many autistic people where we're really, really good at some things and we really, really struggle. A lot of people don't realize the spiky profile thing even exists in autistic people. So if you see me doing something I'm really good at, you're like, oh, she's a genius. If you see me trying to put together a simple thing with more than three instructions, you'd be like, oh, wow, she's as dumb as a box of rocks. So I started the Articulate Autistic because I am articulate and that is one of my, one of my strengths. And also people for some reason think that autistic people can't be articulate and that's the exact opposite of what's true. So that's how I came up with it. It's definitely one of the uh, many stereotypes that aren't true about the autistic experience, but I was kind of laughing to myself because whenever I get like a new product or something, I'm just a disaster just trying to like put it together or make it work the first time. I'll read through the instructions. Usually like that's a disaster and YouTube has really become my friend. <laughs> I don't know how I ever put anything together without YouTube. So I appreciate yeah. all those videos out there. Yeah, no, I really appreciate them too. I, I unfortunately, even with tutorial videos, that's another thing that eventually I want to get into talking about is that you know, even beginner videos are not enough for me most of the time because they don't start at the very beginning and they also don't give as much detail as I would need in order to learn. So I struggle with that as well. So I, I get it. Yeah. I'm glad that you can use videos that, that'll help you though. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on your uh, web website, on your blog, you wrote an article about 
autistic people not habituating to forced uh, sensory exposure and that it can lead to permanent or near permanent dissociative state. So I'm wondering for autistics or their loved ones there, what may be some signs that someone might be in a dissociative state that this might be happening? Well, I think it's it's important at first that I talk a little bit about the study that I saw. The study was, uh, it was an article that was published in Autism Developmental Disorder in 2021. And it showed what was called reduced sensory habituation in autistic people. So one of the direct quotes was, our data showed that ASD children have significantly reduced habituation relative to the NT children for both auditory and visual stimuli. So what that means is that autistic children who are forced to endure exposure therapy to visual and auditory stimuli in attempt to get them used to it is just causing trauma. So we don't habituate to the sensory stimuli the way non-autistic people do, which means it's because it's not how our brains work, we don't actually receive any benefit if anything becomes becomes traumatic. So if you think about trauma in general, you usually have four options. Most people think of fight or flight, but there's actually fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And if you picture an autistic child in a classroom where the teacher is continually and purposefully doing things like dropping large books on the floor behind the child in some misguided attempt to desensitize them to the sound, the child may yell at the teacher, which would indicate fight, or the child may run out of the classroom, flight, or he or she may experience a shutdown, which is a freeze response, or they may stuff down their feelings of absolute horror and sensory trauma and do everything in their power to pretend it doesn't bother them and try to be even nicer to the teacher, which is a fawn trauma response. All of those responses are an attempt to make sensory trauma stop. So what usually ends up happening, if you look at some of the school, the models that schools currently use with a lot of autistic children, fight like yelling or laying hands on the teacher anything like that is met with holds usually potentially aggressive and dangerous holds flight usually is met with someone chasing the student down and then putting them in a hole and fawn can have mixed results so i think that a child who is continually traumatized is going to go to the only thing that they can which is freeze they just check out of their own brains and bodies what you may see is that, let's say there's um, there's a sound, like someone's got the lawnmower going outside and the window is open, or there's really bright lights in the room or suddenly somebody turned on a lot of bright lights, something like that, or there's a smell even in the room that wasn't there before, and you notice that the autistic person in your life is freezing, their body may have gone rigid, their eyes may have glazed over, their jaws go slack they are probably having a dissociative trauma response. And it's not that it's a feature of being autistic. A lot of people think that it's automatic if you're autistic that you'll go into a freeze response like that. What it actually indicates is that it's a feature of being traumatized as an autistic person. My advice would be never to try to talk, control, or bribe or shame the person into talking to you or into trying to come out of it. I remember when I was a kid, People would do that dreaded thing, and I'm sure that you could probably agree this may have been done to you, but they'd be like, you know, snapping their fingers going, wake up, Jamie, wake up, or they'd wave their hand in front of my face. Not things that they should have done. I know it's important when a child or anyone goes into a freeze response and you're not sure if it's seizures. I think that seizures, absent seizures should be ruled out first. I think it's very important to say that because absent seizures are different than dissociating. But I think that when someone is 
emotionally raw and vulnerable and you've ruled out seizures that you just need them to, you need to take the sensory stimuli away. Or if you can't do that, get them something that you've agreed on beforehand, like stim toys, which I like to call them sensory aids because they are sensory aids, not, they're not toys or headphones or earplugs, something that can stop with that or get them into another room where they can control their own sensory environment. And that helps a lot, but don't try to shake the person out of it because you're just trying to, you're just ending up causing more trauma. That's, that's usually what ends up happening. Now we were, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, misconceptions about the autistic experience and fairly recently you wrote about another uh, misconception regarding um, why your autistic loved one doesn't pick up the phone. And, you know, we've talked about this a few times on this podcast, but, you know, many times I've heard from autistic folks, loved ones that they, they don't want their son or daughter or whoever don't want that connection with them or even worse, they're being rude because they, you know, don't want to talk uh, on the phone. So I know there are so many different reasons why this isn't true and answering or making phone calls can be overwhelming. So just wondering what's been your experience either in answering or making uh, phone calls? I am definitely somebody who does not like phone calls at all. I haven't since I was very young. Maybe when I was a teenager, I didn't mind them so much, but I really do not like it when my phone rings. I find it to be a very intrusive feeling and it's unexpected and anything that is unexpected is automatically jarring for me. So I even have over the past, like, I want to say maybe a year, I actually have a greeting on my voicemail that says, please just text me. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable enough setting up that boundary because I know how it looks to the outside world. Like somebody might be listening to that voicemail going, Oh my God, this person is so rude. But I think if I can have that as a voicemail and it maybe quote unquote normalize it as somebody who just cannot take phone calls and, and or really struggles with them, then maybe it'll become something that people are at least used to. It's like, oh, okay, well, this person doesn't talk on the phone. And I usually tell people just text me instead because what ends up happening is if I do take a phone call or make a phone call, unless it's just a quick exchange of information, no matter what I'm doing, I have to mask on the phone. So I have to modulate my voice and my vocal tone to sound a certain way so that I don't sound rude. And I have to make sure that I put in my voice since it's manual. See, neurotypical or non-autistic people, when they feel an emotion, their face and their voice automatically correspond with the right vocal tone or the, the right facial expression. And my, that doesn't happen with me and it doesn't happen with a lot of autistic people. We actually have to think about it. We have to think about the facial expressions we're making. We have to think about the, the tones in our voices, which means we have to do everything manually, which is exhausting. So I have to, while I'm having a conversation on the phone, not only do I have to think about what the other person's saying, absorb it and have the correct response. I also have to force inflection into my voice and the appropriate inflection, the right amount. And I have to do all of this manually. So it can, after an hour long conversation, I just want to take a nap. I mean, it's, it's really, really tiring. So I'm very, very careful about very rarely do I talk on the phone unless it's an, unless, like I said, unless it's an emergency or I know that I'm not going to be doing anything the next day. So, and I also have to be very mindful of where I spend my energy in general. So if I have anything that I need to do 
I could probably do something that would take like three or four hours that has nothing to do with talking, like working on a project. But if I talk on the phone that day, then my energy is depleted by like 50%. So I have to, I just have to be really mindful of that. Well, my slogan in life is definitely, please just text me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm curious, what, what was the response when you did put that on your phone? Did people, were people honoring that or were people just kind of ignoring you, Jamie, and be like, yeah, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to continue to call you? Well, if people continue to call me, I just don't pick up and eventually they learn not to bother. And because I think that that's a, a gross violation of my boundaries, if somebody would, would hear that, and, and it doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound rude. It's just like, hey, I never pick up my phone. I really don't listen to my voicemails. I don't remember to text me or here's my email address. You can email me because I put my email address on my phone too. And if somebody just, in order to spite me, kept calling and calling and calling, then I'd probably end up blocking the number. That has not happened. No one has called me so insistently that I've had to do that. But if, if someone was like, oh, I see that this bothers you and I see that this is a problem for you. So now I'm going to go out of my way to do it. Then I would be, no, that person can't be in my life then. But I actually had a doctor's office one time call me and I guess they heard my voicemail and I ended up having to call her back. It was something that was just required a phone conversation. And she goes, yeah, I got your, your voicemail or I, I listened to your voicemail and I understand. And she, she ended up emailing me something. And I said, and I kind of was curious. I was like, oh, that didn't sound rude to you because I wanted to know what she thought. And she's like, no, you stated your boundaries and that's that's fine. I was like, ooh, progress. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Now, I think it's somewhat common knowledge, or at least I'd hope so at this point, that giving step-by-step -step direction directions to an autistic person can be many times much more helpful than giving big chunks of information. And recently, or, or fairly recently, I think, you wrote a blog that gave a, you know, one of the best explanations on this that I've seen and how teaching like uh, GPS could help improve neurodivergent learning. So tell me a little bit about GPSing and how that has helped you. GPSing is one of my favorite things, and it came about quite by accident. I, I don't remember if it was the first time it had ever <coughs> happened. Because I think some may have done this when I was a kid, but my partner is actually very understanding about my trauma and also about the way my brain works. So I remember, you know, something that, that does trigger me is hearing somebody say to me, like, they tell me to go, like, here, go into the kitchen and get me this bowl or just go get a bowl in the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, that's not, to me, that's not enough information. I can't just, I don't know what bowl you want. I don't know what purpose it has, you know, do you want, like, do you want plastic? Do you want ceramic? Do you, what do you want? And what ends up happening is I just, I see if I'm, let's say I'm looking at a, a kitchen counter and there's a bunch of stuff on that counter. I end up seeing what I've termed it as the amorphous blob of one thing. <laughs> so instead of seeing individual items, my brain does not translate that all of those things that are on the counter are individual items. I can't do it. So I'm looking and I'm looking and I could be staring right at whatever object it is you want me to get, but I, my brain will not pick out that one object. So my partner one time asked me to go get her something and she, it's like the way she would say it, it's something to this effect. It was like, okay, go into the kitchen, turn to your left, open the cabinet underneath the toaster oven. On the right-hand side, you'll see a red bowl. And then instead of like saying something like that makes more sense to me, makes more sense to my brain, so I can follow it step-by-step because step, I'm not good at remembering long instructions. So if there's like 
somewhere between five to seven instructions, I'm not going to remember it if she would say that all at once. So I'll be in the kitchen, and as I make each turn and as I do each thing, she'll give me the next step. And then I know what to get her. Because if someone says, oh, get me the bowl from the kitchen, I'm just like, there's like 20 bowls in here. I don't know which one you want. So, and, you know, I think there's a lot of context clues that I think non-autistic people would have. They'd know, oh, this is the bowl the person usually uses, or it's for this thing or that thing. But for me, it really helps. I mean, that's just an example. The bowl thing is just an example, but it really helps to get those turn-by-turn directions in order to understand what to do. And then eventually I don't have to, I don't really have to use that anymore. I just sort of memorize what I'm supposed to do and then I I just do it. So I guess that's the best way to describe it. I think I think some people might have issues with doing this because it sounds condescending. But if your autistic loved one asks you to do this, then I think it's it's just it's an accommodation and it's actually been very beneficial to me. I mean now I've gotten to the point in my life where someone will give me like that chunk of information and I'll immediately just cut them off and be like, stop, stop, stop. That is not going to work for me at all. Let's go one step at a time. One Uh, step at a time. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's really helpful. Um, So, you know, we've talked about some of your blog posts and you've written so many, so many more, like we would not, not possibly have enough time to talk about all of them that they're so helpful to people. So, but I'm wondering if there are maybe one or two that you've written that are particularly meaningful to you? There are a lot of my blogs that are particularly meaningful for me, but I think that if people just wanted an overview of what my other blogs discuss and also just the autistic experience in general, there's three that I would recommend. I have one called eight things, one called 10 things and one called 15 things. So eight things autistic people do that you're misreading as a neurotypical. 10 nice things neurotypical people do that unknowingly harm autistics and 15 things that bother your autistic loved one that you may not even notice that gives you a good overview and a lot of good tips for what to do just kind of on the fly okay i don't i don't know exactly what to do i don't know exactly how to understand the autistic experience and these particular articles give you a place to start and how can people beyond this interview learn more about you and your blog? Well, you can definitely come and visit my blog at www.thearticulateautistic.com. Or, and I do a lot more work on here, actually, is I do a lot of discussions on my Instagram page, and that is at The Articulate Autistic. Well, I will continue to read your blog posts, and I really appreciate the time, Jamie, and getting to know you a little bit. Thank you so much for having me on, Doug. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Jamie for the conversation. To learn more about Jamie and the Articulate Autistic, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides extraordinary support to live self-sufficient and purpose-driven lives through our customized coaching? If this is something that you're interested in, learning more about, please visit AutismPersonalCoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.